Praise God. Amen. Well, give the Lord a hand clap. You know, uh, I kind of feel like, a, like I'm getting ready for a football game. You know, when I was in high school, I kind of got a little butterflies this morning because I just, I just am wanting to get the, 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 the score, uh, the ball across the score line and uh, make touchdowns and just win this morning, have some victories, because I really feel like this morning is a special time, a special service. I'm believing God. We're having communion this morning. And uh, as we have communion, you know, we have an open communion service here at Living Waters Church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's your Lord and Savior, then we welcome you to have communion with us. And I'm just believing for miracles at communion. I'm believing for God to do miracles in your lives this morning. I woke up early this morning, been praying all week about it. And, uh, uh, you know, all week, all week, all, every church, every service, I'm telling you, God is doing miracles in people's lives. People call me. I don't make a big deal of it. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't, you know, uh, try to get the big head or anything like this, but I'm telling you, God is always in the midst of these services doing miracles. People call me and tell me a testimony that God did something for them. And a lot of times what we're doing in life, we're looking for the, the bright shining light. We're looking for the burning bush. We're looking for the water to part. We're looking for something like, you know, power of God to hit somebody, they fall on the floor, flop around like a fish. And then we say, oh, God did a miracle, but God's doing a miracle all the time. He's doing things in, in, in our hearts right here in these services. Why? Because the power and the presence of God's here. Can I have an amen? Whether we realize it or not, the power and the presence of God is here. You're not in just a normal church service this morning. You didn't just come to church to fill your quota, to get your gold star this morning. If you're sitting in these services, I'm telling you, I, I know that the power of God is here for you if you will tap into it. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, hey, get ready. So one of the things that's powerful about, about church and what's going on is hearing a testimony, okay? The Bible says in, in Revelations 12, 11, it says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They're talking about the devil. They overcame the devil by the, by the blood of the lamb, right? Our redemption, and then the word of their testimony, amen? And so this morning, we've got a testimony. Uh, Brittany, you want to come on up? And uh, she's going to give us a testimony this morning, Come on up, Lee, man. You're going to stand up here, too. Come on. Good morning. February 3rd, 2019, the Lord gave me the scripture, Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wondrous works. This came after the Lord had been putting on my heart to share my testimony for the last year or so. The same day we got to church and the Frasers were preaching. Bethany starts off by encouraging us to be the light and had us make the declaration, God wants to use me to change the world. She also described how sharing our testimony is sharing the power of God. She said, be willing to be used. So here I am sharing my story of the power of God in my life that he may be glorified. A godly woman and mentor of mine encouraged me to journal several years back, and I'm so glad that she did. My story starts in the spring of 2016. Lee and I, two very broken people at the time, decided to both go to freedom prayer. We were desperate and kept hearing it announced at church, so we figured we would give it a shot. The night of our freedom prayer, God changed everything. God honors us when we're bold, when we get out of our comfort zone to seek him. He was just waiting for us to cry out to him and quit trying to figure everything out on our own. God's word says, And I will lead the blind in a way that they did not know, and paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things that I do, and I do not forsake them. Isaiah forty-two sixteen. And this is exactly what the Lord has been doing for us since. Right after my freedom prayer, God started reminding me of the desires he had placed within me that I had let the devil talk me out of doing for several years. Next thing I knew, I was trained and able to volunteer for hospice in Uvalde. I looked forward to the opportunity to bless others, but boy, did I have it backwards. The patients and their families I've been blessed by are countless. Soon after, Sharon invited me uh, to join a small weekly Bible study, which led to several other studies 
encouragement, weekly prayer, accountability, Lee beginning to meet with his mentor weekly, to us hosting Life Group in our home. To see how God has moved since we finally surrendered to him has been so humbling. God is faithful. As God was changing our hearts and renewing our minds, we faced the toughest obstacle yet, the journey to become parents. After about a year and a half of trying, I'm sorry, I was given a diagnosis as to why it hadn't happened yet. Thankfully, by this point, I knew God's word enough to know that he is my healer and that I could and rebuke this diagnosis. My first day back to work after this news was Tuesday, April 10th, 2018, my birthday. When I got to work, an envelope was laying on the counter. It had a sticky note on it saying, Rhonda and Tommy Atkinson dropped this off for you over the weekend. At that time, I had only met this sweet couple one time. Inside the envelope was a type testimony of the healing power of prayer. Not just anyone's testimony, but my papa Bill Kennedy's testimony. It had, been, it had to have been at least 15 years old. I had never read it or had knowledge of it. Right then and there, I felt a big hug from God and my papa in heaven, reassuring me that God indeed can heal. I called Tommy and Rhonda, crying of course, and told them of my recent diagnosis and how much this letter and its timing meant to me. God's timing is perfect, never early, never late. It's also no coincidence that around that same time, Dr. Lex Brown started teaching Sunday school. He taught over diet, how our bodies were created to function and operate, how much stress can negatively impact our bodies, and I'm sure much more, but I knew God was speaking to me and opening my mind to his healing power. I started to recognize the Holy Spirit showing me certain foods that were not good for me. After several visits with the fertility specialist, money wasted and high stress, I told Lee no more. He agreed. This was in November of last year, and I said I was never going back. A friend and also mentor of mine who knew what we were going through suggested we see a different kind of doctor that they had benefited from seeing. So in early December, that's what we did. The doctor and his wife were Christians and wanted to focus on my whole body health. Our appointment lasted five hours. This doctor laughed at my previous diagnosis and assured me we would get to the heart of what was really going on. I cried and thanked God in his office because I finally felt like we were in the right place. After some diet changes, added supplements, and most importantly, God's perfect timing, one month later I became pregnant. Yes, Lee and I are expecting a baby boy this fall. I tell this part of my story because it's nothing I could have planned on my own. No path I would have known or chosen to take, but it was God's. Sometimes the way God chooses to work and move in our lives is not what we would have chosen or even thought of. It reminds me of the Pharisees in Luke chapter 6, trying to trick Jesus into performing miracles on the Sabbath so that they could catch him breaking the law. Yet Jesus chooses to still heal. He wasn't concerned about pleasing man. He was going to do what the Father told him to do. And that's what happens when we daily surrender our plans and lives to Jesus. He shows up in unexpected ways, performing miracles. As I finish, I just want to encourage each of you and challenge you to surrender to God's plan for your life. If God has changed my life completely around these last three years, he can and will do for you. Sometimes following the Holy Spirit's guidance looks strange to others because it's not how the world says to do things. But I'm learning to trust that still voice because the God of the universe knows more than I do, and his plans are for good to give me a future and a hope. Amen. Amen. Okay, you guys just stretch your hands out here. Father, we just declare and we just stand in agreement and joy over this whole healing and miracle and everything you've done over this new life coming into the world. We thank you for blessing this family, Lord, blessing Lee and Brittany at this time, blessing their families. 
Lord, just pouring down upon them in this testimony, going out and setting people free. And Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go, Jesus. <laughs> Way to go. Man, Lee, you're just a rock. You just stood there like a rock, buddy. Never flinched. <laughs> well, praise God. Good word. Amen. Well, I want you to get your Bibles out, and I want you to go to the book of Galatians chapter 3. Now, I've got about six messages in this one this morning that I'm going to throw out here, but I just, I just want, I want, man, I want y'all to be blessed this morning. This week, I, I, I've got some sheep on my property, and, and I went out and fed them that morning and accounted, and everybody was there, and then Later in the afternoon, I went up, and I noticed I was short one, and, and I thought, well, where'd that dumb sheep go, you know? And uh, then I, I was doing some work, a couple hours to drive back by, I noticed I'm still short one, and so I said, something's wrong. Some, one either just decided to find a ditch and die in it or something, you know, because it's a sheep. And so, uh, so I went and got on there and, and started going around my whole property looking for it. It's not that big, 30 acres. Lord, you ought to be able to find a sheep, you know. So I drive around forever, it seems like. Finally find this sheep. And, it, you know, it's, it's getting hot, and she was probably up in this oak thicket, and she was trying to probably rub her hair off or whatever, you know, winter hair. And somehow or another, she had got her foot hung between two branches in this thing, and the leg wasn't broke, but she was hung. And she had been there for a while, thrashed around and, you know, hurt her shoulder. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, I mean, I'm sure it hurt, but I, it wasn't, no bones sticking out, no blood. But I had to commence to try to get this thing out of this limb. And so I, you know, had to start breaking limbs off and trying to drag her around and twist her around, you know, and she wouldn't cooperate neither. And so I finally wrestled this stupid sheep around and, and turned her loose. And when I did, I felt like the Spirit of God spoke to me, said, that's just like us, just like human beings. We go out there in life, and we get hung up in the brush of life, and uh, God has to send somebody out there to get us delivered. And what I'm believing this morning is deliverance for you. I'm believing for everybody that's out there listening and watching this broadcast, and I'm going to say something this morning that is going to help you be delivered from a situation, because, you know, a lot of times we don't understand that the offense that we've taken or the hurt or the pain that life has dealt us or whatever the issues may be in life that's come upon us, we're like that sheep, we're hung in the brush, we can't get free, we're not dying, I mean, she wasn't dying, she was still healthy, I mean, I could have gone and given her water and food right there, and I guess she could live with her leg hung in the bush and, you know, eating out of it, but that's, why do we want to live like that? Do you hear me? Why do we want to just get people to come and help us and bring us food and water? Would it not be smarter just to get out of the, the bush? Would it not just be smarter to get healed up? And so, you know, like right now, I notice that she's, not, she's still not going with the rest of the bunch. She's doing her own thing. And, and, and Laura asked me, she said, what do you think? I said, I think she's just embarrassed. <laughs> Everybody else made fun of her, and she's embarrassed. And so she's not with the rest of the herd because they teased her because she got her foot hung. So she's off until she gets her feelings right. And that's what we do as humans, aren't we? We get offended and we get off and we go over there and we stay by ourselves because we don't want to go to the rest of the sheep because somebody made fun of us or somebody said something. And, and, and we just shouldn't live like that. Amen? Everybody say, I don't want to live like that. Everybody say, I want to be free. So I want to show you something this morning about the redemption that Christ paid for each and every one of us. So in Galatians 3, I'm going to start reading chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? So Paul's saying that he, he's saying, guys, I preached to you, I showed you, Jesus was crucified for you. Okay? You got that. So why do we want to crucify him again? Why do we need to ask him to go to the cross for us again? Do we? He did it once, right? And in that once, he redeemed all of mankind, correctly? All right. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So these Galatians, this church at Galatia, they had gone and they heard the word of faith. They, they accepted Jesus as their Savior. They believed by faith. But then, as a lot of us do, they kept listening to people saying, well, okay, now you're, now, oh yeah, now you're a Christian. Now you're doing this. And so, you know, now you need to make sure and do this and you don't do this and you do this and, and you do this. And so they got into do's and don'ts. They got going back into looking at the law. They got going back into living by works. I want to tell you this morning, Every one of you, I don't want to offend you, don't want to really make you mad, but I want to tell you, not one of us can keep the law. Not one of us can keep the law. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care if you're sitting here this morning in arrogance and pride and you feel like you are the best of all of us sinners in here. You committed the least amount of sin this week. The Bible says under the law, if you made one mistake, you're guilty of it all. You're guilty of it all. You can't, there's no way that we could do it and keep it. That's why God gave us a law. God gave us a law through Moses because mankind had started out under the faith of Abraham. But then they got to where they said, you know, we're doing pretty good at this. And I think we can do it. And so God says, you boys think you can do it? Well, then here's what you got to do. And so he laid the law down. Here's the law. You want to be holy? This is what it takes to be holy. You do all of this, and you'll be holy. But if you mess up once, you're guilty of everything. And so what did man do? All right, we're going to do it. And so then, by the time Jesus came, they had created a whole other book besides the law of Moses called the Talmud which was basically another book of excuses why when you broke the law, you still could be okay. That's my terminology, all right? They were the, it was the excuse book to work around the law and still claim that you were righteous, okay? So this church at Galatia had started doing this. They had started, they got saved by faith, but then they started working around and sort of back into works. Okay, so look what he says. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracle among, among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham, listen to what Abraham did. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, hear this. We try to make faith so complicated. I'm telling you, I don't believe there's anybody in here that's read more books on faith than I have. I have read books. I've read the ABCs of faith, the one, two, threes of faith, the how to get faith, how to build your faith, how to grow your faith. I wrote a book called uh, Growing Your Faith. And so I'm telling you, I, have, I, I look at this and look at this. But then when it comes right down to it, when it comes right down to the bottom brass tacks of the thing, Abraham heard God say, go, and he did because he believed that God's word was true. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else to it. There's nothing else to what faith is. Faith is believing God's word, and God's going to do what he said he's going to do. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no, there's no magical formula. There's no anything. It's just, are you going to believe today that God will do what he said he'll do? That's the, that's the end of it. Yet we make it so complicated. And then we take the doctrine of faith, or the, the, the yeah, the, I'll just call it the doctrine of faith, and we turn it into some kind of a mass something or another, and then create it, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to hold your mouth just right, and you stand on one leg and say it this way, and make sure you keep on this, and if you don't do that, well, then that really wasn't, and that negated your faith. And then you get so complicated, you get back into this mass figure of works. Are you with me? All right? And so I want to break that today. I want to try to, I, my prayer is this morning that by, by this end of this message and you come up and take communion, you will so simply believe the word of God from now on that you will just 
it'll be all over with. Let me read on. Therefore know that only those that are of the faith of the sons of Abraham. The scriptures were seen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Hear what it said. He said, Paul said to them, he said, actually the gospel got preached to Abraham before because he said, for as many are the works of the, no, no, no. Then he, those who are, are of the faith are blessed with Abraham. No, excuse me, back up one more. In you all nations shall be blessed. He said it was already foretold and, and prophesied to Abraham what the gospel was going to be. Abraham was a Jew. And God said, the faith that you've got is going to be all nations. For as many are under the works of the law are under the curse. As is written, curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no one is justified by the law, and the sight of God is evident. For the just, the just shall live by faith, or the justified shall live by faith. He's talking about those that believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and have been justified before God. The only way you can live is by faith. The only way you can live is by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does him shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for his written curse is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You got to understand something, right? Abraham was before Moses. Y'all with me? Abraham came first. Then Moses came. Abraham had a covenant with God and walked with God, and the blessings of Abraham were upon God. Would you go read them in Genesis 12? The blessings of Abraham, it was real simple. God says, I'm going to bless you. You do what I say, I'm going to bless you. And those that curse you, I'm going to curse them. Those that bless you, I'm going to bless them. End of story. That was it. That was the whole Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless you. Then Moses comes along, and he delivers over 3,000 covenants and ordinances through the law that you had to fulfill. So which one do you want to do this morning, church? You want to try to do the 3,000, or you want to just believe God's word's true and walk under the covenant of Abraham or the blessing of Abraham, right? I don't know about y'all, but I'd rather just believe God and be blessed. Look at the person beside you and say, man, that's really good. When you start believing God in your life, it becomes active. The testimony you just heard took some time. But as they believed God, faith produced an activity of God within their life, which caused life to come within her. If you have to earn it, it's not faith. If you have to try to middle assent to it, it's not faith. The word redeemed, he says he redeemed you from the curse of the law. You see, the law became a curse to man because now we had something standing in front of us always telling us we were sinners, right? So you always had something crying out to you saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But Jesus said he came, Paul said here about Jesus, he came and he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, that word redeemed means by payment of price to recover from the power of another. By the payment of a price, you recovered it from the power of another. That's what redeemed means. Okay? You ought to stay with me here. Don't get bored. So let's look at the big picture. The big picture, all the way starting from Genesis chapter 3, of the fall of mankind, of the sin taking place in the garden, Something happened with the, with the power change, the authority change. And the enemy, all of a sudden now, had power and authority on earth that he did not have before when Adam and Eve were, before they had sinned. Okay? So all of a sudden, man became truly a victim of the devil. Now, hear what I'm saying. He became a victim of the devil. He tricked them, fooled them. They gave up their power, gave up their authority, and 
he became authority over them, a taskmaster who tricked them into selling their rights and privileges. Right? It's the same thing. You're trying to diet. This is the greatest example I know. At least it always happens to me. You, you, you're trying to lose weight. You're trying to diet. You declare you're not going to eat ice cream. And then, you know, uh, or whatever it be. And then all of a sudden, you know, it beckons out from the ice box. And then it says, eat me. It's okay. It'll be all right. You've done good this week. Go ahead and eat me. And so then you do it. And then immediately self tells you, you know, you're so, you have no self-control. You're such a dog. You couldn't even resist that ice cream. That's what the devil does. He tricks you one way and then curses you at the end of it. All right? So that's what he did to mankind. Why did Jesus have to redeem us from anything if we were never sold under the bondage of slavery of sin? He didn't ever had to redeem us. So mankind was lost, okay? So you can go over to Luke chapter 4. I don't want to get into this too much. Like I said, I got a bunch of different messages here because I want to speed on through this. But in Luke chapter 4, when the devil tempted Jesus, he took him up to the high point of the pinnacle and he said, look, look over all the kingdoms of this world. All these kingdoms I'll give you if you'll bow down and worship me. How did he have the right to give Jesus the kingdoms? Jesus didn't say, you don't own that. Right? I mean, you can't go stand on somebody else's property and say, look, I'll give you all of this if you'll worship me. We all say, that ain't yours. Jesus didn't say that because he knew that he did have authority over it. That's what he's redeeming us from. When Matthew 28, when Jesus came back, he says, now all authority is mine in heaven and earth. Everybody say Jesus has the authority. He has the authority from going to the cross and paying the price for us to justify the price that was due that we had to pay for our sin. Hello? He paid the price at the cross of Calvary. He redeemed us. He now has the power and the authority. Does anybody want to argue with me on that? Jesus is in charge. The devil's not in charge. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Folks, you've got to get some wrong thinking out of our brains. There is no battle going on right now of who's going to win. Jesus already died. He went to hell. He grabbed the devil by the, by the hair. He triumphantly went over him. He drug him down the streets and said, I'm in charge. Now, we're still living in a fallen world because Jesus has not come back yet. But in this time right now, we live in a fallen world, and there's still a curse on this earth that we have to walk through. But there is a redemption for you. You have been bought with the price taken out of that authority by what Jesus did for you on the cross, if by faith you'll walk in it. I'm preaching really, really good, man. I'm telling you, I'm throwing out some T-bones to you today. I mean, you got to sharpen your knife for this, but you got to grab hold of it, church. You got to grab hold of it. The Christian world is so up in there, man, one minute the devil's fighting and got authority and oh my God, I think he's going to win and whatever. And then, and then, the, and then you got the denomination over there, they don't even know there is a devil. Hello? And then you got another church over here, they've they got this belief and that belief. We've got to get straight to what the Word of God says and teaches us. We have got to get to be foundational Christians that know what the Word says. And when we're confronted with the problems that come about and the curse of this life, we say... Dude, shut up. This, that's not what the Word says. The Word says this. That's the end of it. I'm not saying you're not going to be attacked. I'm not saying you're going to have problems. Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation, right? But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In other words, he has redeemed you. There is a way out. You do not have to go the way of every other person in this world. And it's time for us as Christians, we've got to stand up and say, no, I have been redeemed from this. I've been bothered. You can't charge me with that. I have been pardoned, have been freed. You don't have a right and a hold and a power over me, Mr. Devil. All right? Okay. So the next thing is we have to understand what did Jesus redeem us from? And once you have that solidified within your heart, what has Jesus redeemed me from? What did he pay for me on the cross? What was bought? with that price of his blood, and that is solidified, and you know that what the Word of God says is true, then I want to tell you something. Then you cannot 
be stolen from again. But if it's not solidified in you, the enemy will come to you and whisper in your ear and will try to talk you out of what's yours. Just like he did Adam and Eve. So go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is probably one of the most powerful chapters in the Old Testament because it gives us prophetic insight to what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm sure Isaiah had no idea what came out of his mouth until he died and went to heaven. Or, no, excuse me, until he was standing in Sheol when Jesus came walking down there after he had died on the cross, and he looked at him and said, wow. It wasn't in chapters then, but give me this one. This is Isaiah 53 walking in here. All right? He realized then, but he wrote it down, and we get to read it. And how many of y'all know hindsight's always 2020? Start verse 1. I just, just, when I read this and what I'm preaching this morning and I read this, it blows my mind because he starts out, who has believed I report? Who's got any faith? Who's going to do any believing? Who's got any faith that God can move mountains? Who's got any faith to believe the word of the Lord, the report of the Lord? Who's got any faith? Well, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He's talking about Jesus as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Now just stop right there for just a second. I heard a message years ago by Pastor Randy Needham when he was first pastoring this church, and he preached on Isaiah 53. So this is... 1986 or 7, when I heard this message, and it set off in me, and I never have forgotten it. And the word, the message was, which is what I'm showing you this morning, it says, surely is born our griefs, and the, the Greek word, or the Hebrew word for that is kaloi, which means malady, anxiety, calamity, disease, grief, and sickness. Okay? And it says, surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried away our sorrows. And the word there for sorrows is makab, and it means pain, sorrows, physical pain, or mental pain. That's what it means. All right, those are the Hebrew words. That's what he's trying to express through Hebrew, that Jesus went to the cross bearing all of your pain and all of your sickness and all of your sin. All right, let's go back to Isaiah 53. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he, and he hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. Okay, now, you got to understand something. When I say healing this morning, I'm not talking about just physical healing. I'm talking about mental healing. I'm talking about mental anguish. I'm talking about everything that this world has thrown upon you. Talking about all the hardships, the pains, the griefs, everything that comes along, uh, comes along with living in a fallen world. Amen? Every time something has provoked you and gotten you angry, every time somebody has cheated you, every time somebody's lied to you, every time somebody's hurt you, every time a sickness has come upon your body. Now I want you to understand something. This is what you've got to grasp this morning. When Jesus went to the cross and he died on that cross, he died physically. His body was died physically, right? But did the problem, the sin problem, get dealt with physically or spiritually? In other words, what I'm trying to say here is 
Jesus made a physical sacrifice on the cross. But was not the physical sacrifice on the cross addressing a spiritual issue? Sin. Right? Because if, think of this, if, if it was a physical thing that was doing a physical thing, then the, 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 the Roman soldier who poked Jesus in the side with his spear, he brought about salvation because he's the one that killed him. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, we, none of us in here no, would even question that the issue of sin was dealt with spiritually. Because what sin was Jesus dealing with? He was dealing with all the sin of man all the way back from the garden, right? And from then on. So then if Jesus dealt with sin spiritually, did he deal with our pain, our sickness, our hurts physically? Well, he dealt with them what was going to happen to us physically, but did he not deal with it as a spiritual problem also? See, now y'all are looking at me all confused. Maybe I'm not. Help me, Holy Ghost. Help me, Holy Ghost. The issue that Jesus dealt with on the cross that is described in Isaiah 53, he dealt with in a spiritual manner. His blood poured out onto the altar of, of heaven. When he poured his blood out on that altar, it satisfied the issue of sin. But in that issue of sin was included because the words say your sickness and your grease and your sorrows and your pain. All of it was done spiritually. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is, church, if there's a physical sickness on your body, you've got to deal with it in the spiritual realm first before you're going to find that you can handle it in the physical and the, in the natural. Because it's a spiritual problem. I don't believe that Adam and Eve ever were to, intended to get sick in the garden. I don't know about y'all, but you know, like two weeks ago when the oak was really bad, I don't know why it was two weeks ago, man, my head, I felt like I had a vice on my head. And I thought about it. I said, well, I wonder what this, you know, the bounty had oak trees in the garden. Did Adam and Eve, you know, have to take Sudafed? They're in a garden. Everything's blooming. They're walking around unclothed, hoeing and digging in the garden and doing whatever they're doing. I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something. Are y'all with me? Nobody in here, I don't believe, would ever think that they got sick in the garden. Nobody in here is ever going to say that anybody got sick in heaven. Are they fighting infections in heaven today? I mean, it's just like, that's a silly question, Pastor, right? Not a one of you, even if I tried to prove to you this morning that you could get sick in heaven, none of y'all would believe me. Y'all would walk out of the doors of the church. The pastor man smoking something. Am I right? Give me a show of hands if you believe that's right. Y'all would say I was nuts. Because down on the inside of you, going to heaven, everybody's in heaven, and everything's perfect, and everything's fine. Why? The presence of God's there. The presence of God's there. Oh, well, what about here? What about here? Matter of fact, I think he said he's going to come and live in you and abide with you and dwell in you. What I'm trying to tell you today, and I'm trying to throw out there, and, and this big old giant stake I'm throwing out, is simply this, that sickness... Whatever the sickness is, has to be dealt with spiritually. It's a spiritual problem that manifests physically in our bodies. But it's a spiritual problem that Jesus died on the cross for. And he redeemed you. He paid the price for you and redeemed you from it. But you have to walk in it by faith. So I'm going to throw something out there right now. Like I said, y'all, y'all, I mean, the doors are open. So then to go to Jesus and say, Lord, I ask you today to heal my body. Then would not you be asking Jesus to go to the cross again and die again for you? Just think about this for a minute. So let's simmer before you just start throwing down, getting angry with me. Because I'm challenging you this morning. I'm challenging your way of thinking. Would you go and say to Jesus and say, Lord, um, I need you. I need you to do something. I have a sin problem. Did he already not do something two thousand years ago on the cross? 
So what are you going to do? You're going to say, Father, forgive me. I repent. I see the issue. Why? Because he already has the power to forgive you. He's already won it. He's already bought it. He's already paid for it. So if you're going to go to Jesus and ask a prayer for physical healing, wouldn't the proper way to go to him would be, Lord, I thank you that you paid for the price of the cross for my healing. You said right here in Isaiah 53 that you carried away my sickness. And so, Father, I stand before you right now today in Jesus' name, and I thank you for it, and I appropriate it to my life. Changes your faith. Because you're not asking him to do something for you. You're telling him he already did it. And now you're appropriating it. And you know what keeps you from getting it? The enemy is stealing your faith. Not believing he is going to do it. And I'm not telling you, man, folks, listen to me. I've lost loved ones. I, 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 I'm not standing here this morning like, oh, listen to Robert. He's got it all down. I'm trying to build our faith this morning because I'm tired of it. I know what Jesus paid for. I know what Jesus did on the cross for us. I know he did it. And I'm tired of us as Christians not walking in it. I'm tired of what Paul says that there's, he's going to serve communion. And he says, there's some of you that are weak and sickly among you and that fallen asleep, he means died, because they didn't understand what's in this communion service. So that tells me if Paul could serve a communion service then, that everybody could be healed, that I can serve a communion service to you today and everybody be healed. Not because I'm like the Apostle Paul, but because we both have the same Jesus. Are you following me here, church? I'm tired of being just another church. Now, we're not just another church. People, people get, like I said, get healed here all the time, but I'm, I'm ready for some radical living. But it isn't going to happen until we all get in agreement and get our faith going. And as long as we're questioning what Jesus did on the cross for us, because, folks, I'm telling you, there is churches right now, there are denominations right now that will tell you everything that I'm saying to you this morning is wrong. They will tell you that, no, Jesus paid for your sin, but healing is about God granting you the faith to believe. And if he so grants you the faith to believe, you'll be healed. But if he doesn't grant you the faith to believe, your job is to smile and endure it. And I don't like that. I don't believe it's the gospel. I say Jesus went to the cross. He bled and died for me on the cross for my sickness and my sin. And I want to walk in healing. I say he bought all my pain and my sorrows. And unless I'm going to be offended and unforgiving. Now, listen to me. You cannot be praying for healing and drinking rat poison. Right? If you're praying for healing and your wife is putting arsenic in your coffee every morning, and you can't understand why you're not getting your healing, you need to get a word of wisdom that she's poisoning you. That would be your healing, right? Are you with me? That would be your healing, the word of wisdom, she's putting rat poison in your coffee. But I'm talking about good believers here that are trying to live in faith and walk and keeping your hearts pure and, and repenting and loving Jesus and forgiving everybody. Else. And you, can't, you can't get healed when you're in unforgiveness. You cannot get physically healed when you're in unforgiveness. Know why? Because you're convicted by your own self because the Bible says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive and my Heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you don't forgive, you're not in the right place to receive and your own heart will condemn you. Look at the person behind you and say, man, I just hate it when he preaches like this. I'm telling you, church, if I had the magic pixie dust, I'd throw it on you. But I don't. All I can do is strengthen you by faith, tell you what the Word of God says, and push you and kick you out of the nest and try to break your old thinking and try to stir us all up. You got to understand, my wife and I, man, we're, we're not, we're not, I'm, not, I didn't just, I'm just not looking for something to preach. We're wrestling and fighting. We're over there every morning. Got our Bibles out, got sword drill back and forth, man. We're, we're, we're hacking and chopping and believing and reading and stretching ourselves and our faith in what we're doing. Okay, let me read verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6. And I want to tie this up and we're going to have communion. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own ways. And the Lord has laid on him, him being Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was open, not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as sheep before the shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. 
For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him in grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. You see, folks, if Jesus has borne all your iniquities, then you stand before God in a righteous position. And if you stand before God in a righteous position and Jesus paid for you to be in that position, then why shouldn't you receive everything that he paid for? Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and it shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he's poured out his soul to death, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. One last scripture, Matthew 8, 16. The gospel writer Matthew, when Jesus was doing in his ministry there, he said, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with, with a word. And he healed all that were sick, that they might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. Matthew confirms that Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. So if you don't believe me, believe Matthew. I lied. One more scripture. Psalms 107. Psalms 107. 20. Actually, 19. 107, 19. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distress. How did he do it? He sent his word. And he healed them. And he delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. How did he heal them? Sent his word. And what do we do when Jesus gives us his word? What's our job? So all my life, people always told me things like, brother, you just got to receive it. You just need to receive it. And I would say, I don't understand. How do you receive it? Where? I mean, show me where to go get it. I mean, receiving to me is like you drive up to the, the, the back door of the place and it's the receiving dock and you receive it. I mean, somebody's giving it and I'm taking, how do I receive this? And brother, I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to pray for you. Just receive your healing. And I'd always say, I don't understand. I don't understand. And I'd just go up and just, Oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing. It's something. Oh, something, Lord, I don't know. Because I felt like I had to do something. And all my life, I was trying to figure out how to physically do something. But what I'm telling you this morning is, it's a spiritual matter, so deal with it spiritually. How do you get forgiven of your sin? How do you get forgiven of your sin? And then how do you, how do you receive it? You just believe that what you repented of, because why? 1 John 1, 9 says, if you repent, right, he forgives. So then what do you do? How do you receive it? You, you just simply believe it. And he said, well, I don't know. I, I, I did something really bad, and I don't, just don't think the Lord's going to forgive me. Okay, you're not in faith. Because that's not what the Word says. The Word didn't say that there's qualifications to be forgiven. You may not want to forgive yourself. You may be mad at yourself. You may be ashamed that you did what you did, but that's not the point. The point is, is Jesus going to forgive you if you ask him to forgive you? What do you think? Oh, congregation of the mighty. If you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, is he going to forgive you? Why? Oh, so you believe the word, huh? Is that what y'all are? You're saying you're believers? And you believe the word? Like Abraham, huh? Who believed the word and it was accounted to him for righteousness? Oh, so then if everything else is appropriate for you on the cross, including sickness, mental anguish, all these other things were there on the cross, Jesus paid for that price, well then how are you going to receive that? Would you not receive it exactly the same way? So you don't have to raise your hand in here, but I'm sure as I'm preaching this, some of you, there's a little something rising up in you right now that says, 
well, yeah, I know, but, but, I mean, don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. I'll raise mine because what cro- crops up in me once in a while is, but, yeah, buts, right? Yeah, but, I prayed and this didn't happen, or yeah, but, this, that. Okay, because the devil's had you under his thumb for a long time. He ain't going to want to turn loose. He may not get you to go to hell, but he wants you to be as miserable on this earth as you possibly can. And you think he's just going to just say, oh, okay, oh, I'm sorry. He's going to stay around and fight you until you truly believe. I'm sorry, I've lied twice. Go to Romans chapter 10. I'm never going to say that again. It's the last scripture. Go to Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. So let me ask you before we go any farther. Is it? Ask yourself that question. Is the word of God in your mouth and in your heart? Do you know what is yours? Do you know what Jesus said the promises are of yours? I was having a situation the other day, and I was, I was angry, and I was turmoiling, and I was angry, and I was like, man, if they do this, and I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to do this and that, and, and I was going through this big wrestle, and then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost spoke one word to me, brought back up in, in me the word of the Lord, spoke this word to me, not, oh, Robert, thou great and mighty warrior, son of the most high God. No, it was the word the word, a word in the word, popped up in my soul. As soon as I read that word, everything was gone. Why? Because then the word came in, then the word took dominance over my flesh and my thoughts and my whatever. The word took dominance, and so the word is near you. It's in your mouth and your heart, and I'm saying to you, is it? You can't have faith and walk in faith. You don't know what the word says, but it's, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word of faith which we preach, go to nine. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, 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 in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We always tie that to salvation like you get saved for the first time. But wait a minute, saved from what? Saved from everything he brought, bought for on the cross. Take that scripture and quit looking at it as only a salvation scripture for somebody coming to Jesus and look at God saving you from your sickness, for your mental anguish, from your sin, from everything. He said that you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Go to 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confesses made unto salvation. You see what I'm saying? Faith and confession. What's going on in your heart? You start walking in what's yours. Salvation. And salvation is a big, all-inclusive word. It means everything. Everything. So when Paul was serving communion and he said, look, there's some of you here that are, and are weak and, 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 and some of them have already fallen asleep because they didn't understand communion, then let's just turn this right now into this communion. What is this communion? We take, we take this bread and we take this cup and we come through once a month and we drink this communion, we have this communion, we have this service, and we say, oh, yeah, we had communion, you know. It's the first Sunday. We're having communion. Like I said, I grew up in a church where I was so grateful that we had communion once a week, I mean, once a month, because I knew his service was going to be short. Preacher, we're going to preach for long because he had to get out by 12. The service wasn't going to long. We had to get everybody up there and everything. You got up. You got to walk around in the church. You got to do some different things, and it wasn't so boring just sitting there. So that's why I liked communion. But I pray that's not y'all today. Because I ain't cutting my time short anyway. So, But I want you to understand something. What is this? So Jesus, before he died, he goes to the upper room. They sit down to have the last supper together, right? And he takes this bread, and he's trying to get them to understand what this is all about. And he says, I'm going to show you this communion to where I, I want to have communion with you. I want to be with you. I have redeemed you from everything so we can sit down and have communion and I can help you through all these troubles in this fallen world you still live in. 
because I'm sorry and I hate leaving you here, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you because I really hate leaving you because we're still living in a fallen world, but I got to go to heaven and then daddy's going to tell me to come back. And when he comes back, then I'll take care of all that stuff. But until that time, I'm sorry, you're kind of in a bad place. But I'm here with you and I'll deliver you through it. Believe my word and I will set you free. I will, by the Spirit, work into your life and deal with the physical issues. It's got to be dealt with in the Spirit first, church. The spiritual matter. I'm just going to say it as bold as I can possibly say it. Sickness is a spiritual matter. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I'm saying you deal with it in the Spirit, just like you got forgiven of your sin in the Spirit. You get rid of your sickness in the Spirit for another day. So Jesus, he went in and he took a piece of bread and he, and he took it and he said, this, this bread, see, I go through this because I have it memorized. I've said this so much and I have it memorized myself, but I don't want to do things out of rote and out of memory. I'm going to do things from the heart. But listen to the words. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. What's he talking about? He paid the price on the cross for your sickness. Cancer can't live in your bodies. Diabetes can't ravage your bodies. Because Jesus paid a price. He said, this is my broken. It's broken. It's broken body. This is my broken body for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. Remembering. What I did for you on the cross. Remembering what I did for you. I paid the price. I redeemed you from the power of the enemy. Then he said, okay. Then take the cup. Take the cup. And realize that I have a new covenant with you. Because this cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Now think about this, church. Jesus used two things, wine and bread, to illustrate two things, forgiveness of sin and healing of the body. He could have just said, this, all you need is a cup. I ain't doing nothing about the sick bodies. I'll forgive you your sin, but you know. You're just going to have to suffer till you get to the pearly gates. Just drink the wine and be satisfied. He said, no. Two things, bread and wine. And we're going to call it, think of this, the religious term, communion. Communion. When you come to commune, with your God. So right now, I want to ask you just to prepare your hearts. And when you come to this line, come to this line in faith today. Come to this line totally well, 100% expecting God to be revealing himself and communing with you in whatever you have need of. So you come up here and start to play. And let me have my pastoral team, ministry team, Prayer team, whoever team, come down here this morning and help me. And if you're here and you're physically sick and you want somebody to pray for you and lay hands on you, well, that's why we're up here. And get in agreement with somebody. As Brittany told us in the beautiful testimony this morning, it took a while. Had to fight through some things. Had to learn some things. Had to change some things. But the end result was victory. Amen? So, Father, we just thank you for this today. And I believe you for miracles right now, Lord. That as we take this bread and we commune with you and this, this juice this morning, Lord, I just believe you for victory in our lives. Hello, this is Robert Richards, and you're listening to The Waterhole, our weekly broadcast. 
which is now available on iTunes and all major podcast platforms. You can also watch the weekly video broadcast on our YouTube channel. Links in the description. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And if you've enjoyed this message, please share this with a friend. God bless you. And remember, no matter where you are and what you've done, Jesus loves you.